the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Todd Marquardt, attorney at law in Texas. If you're a millionaire or a thousandaire, Talk Law Radio is now on the air. Call in with your business law question, your elder law question. Veteran aid, Medicaid, build a business to get paid. 210-308-8867. Or ask a question online at marquardlawfirm.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T, lawfirm.com. And now, it's Talk Law Radio with Todd Marquardt. Welcome to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And uh, later, we'll be on podcasts everywhere and YouTube and also on Facebook. So each episode, I talk about some Texas law or federal law or regulation that seems to need some explaining. Do you have questions about the law? Email me at host at talklawradio.com. That's H-O-S-T at talklawradio.com. And let me know what your questions are. Because I'm licensed by the state of Texas to practice law, the state bar uh, governs my attorney law license. And the state bar wants attorneys to inform the public about the law. But because legal advice must be tailored to the specific circumstances of each case, and because laws are ever-changing, material discussed in this program is meant for general informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information you learn today should be relied upon only when coordinated with your individual professional advice. Marquardt Law Firm sponsors our show, and attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. New businesses and old businesses, which might have issues with corporations, contracts, LLCs, family limited partnerships, and we can represent those who are facing problems from lack of planning, like in guardianships, probate, business disputes, breach of contract, real estate disputes, and personal injury. Check out our blog at marquartlawfirm.com and... Before we get started talking about the show, let's begin with prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day and for all the gifts and blessings that you give to us. Thank you for allowing me to have the opportunity to talk about the law on the radio. Please forgive us for our sins, for our mistakes, for doing the wrong thing or failing to do your will. Please help Mariah Edafi. And me, give good information about birth coaching and dysfunctional labor maneuvers today. Help us to use these gifts and the talents you have provided for the good of your people, for our own good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's time to discover your legal issue blind spots by listening to me talk about the law on the radio. Today, Mariah Edafi... Registered nurse, birth coach, creator of Dysfunctional Labor Maneuvers, CEO of Empowered Birth and Pregnancy, LLC, is joining me to talk about labor and delivery, uh, facial release, doula training, and resolving uh, labor dystocias. Mariah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Um, I'll just quickly help you with my last name. Yes, please. I'm so sorry. I should have said that when we were pre-show. Last name is Adaifi. Adaifi. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, That's I've never seen that name before. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, Where are you from? Originally, I was born and raised in Canada, mostly British Columbia and Alberta areas. 
um, very, very young age, I ended up marrying somebody who was in the United States Navy. So I moved to the United States, um, life goes on and ended up a very long marriage, but still ended in divorce with one son. And now I'm remarried and I'm serving in the United States Air Force. I'm a U.S. citizen and I'm stationed in Germany as a labor and delivery nurse. Wow. <laughs> and so how, how many years have you been in the military? 23. Uh, okay. In- so you're still active duty. Correct. Yes. And you enjoy that. Yes, actually. Um I think I am where I'm at because of the military's opportunities for me. Um, I know maybe military hospitals can get a bad rap, but in my experience, I've worked in four military hospitals. I think for my facilities, we give the best of care and they have really just let me be who I am. And that's how I've grown. And anytime I came with some crazy harebrained scheme, they supported me. But these crazy harebrained schemes really weren't crazy. They were needed and necessary and something that birth is lacking and missing. So I say thanks to all my leadership that throughout the years supported my inquisitive nature to make birth better. And this is why I'm as good as I am, because nobody shut me down, which I know innovation can um, get like uh, like barriers, walls put up right. when you're trying to, to bring something new. Um, in the beginning, it was a little rough, but I still had some people that championed me. And that's really that gave me that ability to keep growing, keep learning, keep using it, keep doing what I do. And um, and not only have I made the difference in patients' lives, but the nurses that I taught carried on. Uh, I know you did talk about legacy, but I guess I didn't think about that part, was to teach up-and-coming nurses what I do so they can not only bring it in our facility where we're at, but military moves every two to three years. This is the opportunity for them to go to another facility. Oh, another right. Facility. And they'll spread the word. Yeah, exactly. So um, that was definitely what I can say um, helped me and why I still do like serving. And um, I don't get tired of my job because it's not my it's not a job. It's mm-hmm. calling. So to talk about that. Why is it your calling? It's, um, I, so as I was a very young wife, I was 18 years old. I actually didn't even graduate high school. Um, I thought I would go finish school when I moved to the States, because that's what Canadians call it, the States. Really? <laughs> and, um, and it, I just didn't end up doing that. So I've had this plethora of jobs. I was a nail technician. I worked at Sally's. I worked at Jiffy Lube. I worked at a car wash. I couldn't seem to find my way. Mm -hmm. Eventually, I got to a point I became an EMT basic. So interesting with the article you sent me. I was an EMT as well. So I get there that where they were coming from. But um, when I joined the Air Force... I actually was in, um, we were, me and my, at the time, my ex-husband there, we were in bankruptcy because as an EMT, you just, the wage is pathetic. Mm-hmm. I couldn't make ends meet. And I remember like when I um, married my ex-husband, he was in the Navy and we, we had a better quality of life in my opinion. So he had got out after 10 years. And I decided, you know, I think our life was a bit better when we were in the military. Mm-hmm. I was at the time. So I didn't really understand what the military really offered its members. So I joined mostly because I couldn't seem to 
find a job I wanted to keep. I liked enough, uh, paid me enough. Like I was struggling, really struggling. So I started out as an EMT. I worked in the emergency room. We're going to have to take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk more about your background and why it's your calling. We'll talk a little bit about your faith. And then we'll talk about the article that you mentioned, um, which is uh, one of the hidden legal issue blind spots of our show today. What happens if you're pregnant and on life support? So we're going to take a one-minute break. And when we come back, we'll resume talking about your calling. Have you been wanting to learn about a will or a trust but haven't gotten around to it? Now is the perfect time to learn about this vital information. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. We educate our children so that they're prepared for the future. Call Marquardt Law Firm at 210-530-4278 to show your family that you are prepared for the future. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 930 AM The Answer. And we're talking with Mariah Edifi. Is that right? I got it. Good. And uh, she's uh, in obstetrics, uh, labor and delivery nurse. And uh, she was telling us how she got to that point. And then we'll talk about some of the special Uh, talent and training that she has uh, that helps other uh, ladies have uh, natural births. And we'll talk about a hidden legal issue blind spot for uh, pregnant women when uh, if something happens where they end up on life support. But for now, we're going to go back to uh, learning about uh, how Mariah was called to this profession. So uh, you you were mentioning that you joined the military um, because it it offered a a better way of life for you. So uh, continue uh, helping us uh, understand where your your calling came from. So as um, because I was already an EMT, emergency medical technician, when I joined the Air Force, I had my national registry license. So they kept me in that job. And I ended up working at Wilford Hall, which at the time was the Air Force's level one trauma center in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Actually was stationed in San Antonio for 10 years. I worked as um, an EMT in the emergency room. And then the latter half, I worked out at Camp Bullis with security forces and their their training squadron. And I thought I was going to go into emergency medicine as a nurse because that seemed to be natural. I loved emergency medicine. And while I was in nursing school over at the University of Texas Health Science Center, San Antonio, I did a women's health um, uh, clinical, which happened to be in labor and delivery, And I had no interest in women's health whatsoever. And um, I had um, kind of realized how hard I worked in the emergency room. And with, with the postpartum and the labor care, it was over at Methodist that I did my clinicals. I saw like this different side of things that you weren't rushed. You weren't, you, it was just a slower pace and you really were getting to talk to people and know people. And I thought maybe I don't want to do emergency medicine. And I talked to a lot of nurses that were in labor and delivery to ask how they felt about it because it was a very hard decision for me to make. I've been in emergency medicine since 1998 and here we are in, in 2008, 2009. And um, I thought, you know, if I don't really like it, it would give me good experience to get better with newborns and I could move into the neonatal intensive Mm -hmm. care unit 
NICU nurse and still get this critical care because I really love critical care. And um, so that's was my plan actually to do labor and delivery to get better with newborns so I can move into uh, a NICU specialty. So that's what started it. Absolutely no interest in it in the beginning. But when I, uh, so I finished nursing school and I went um, to Lake and Heath, which is in England. That was my very first duty station as an OB nurse. And we went, um, they have special training for OB nurses called perinatal nurse course. So when I went back to do the perinatal nurse course, I hadn't done any labors with patients yet, but I had spent time with the postpartum patients while I was waiting for my school slot to open up. And something was happening to me. These women were postpartum and I could see some had such joy and happiness with their birth experience. And then I could see some that, you know, they didn't have such a good um, experience and maybe they ended up having a very difficult delivery. Maybe they ended up in a C-section, which they didn't plan for. And I could really feel that because I was having a lot of flashbacks of my own birth. And I started to really feel protection towards women because I was taking them post postpartum. I started to really feel like I don't want them to have the experience I had. I was brought back 15 years to the past. My son was 15 years when I became a labor and delivery nurse, 15 okay. years old. And, and what happened in my birth was I was just a 22-year-old young, young mother. Uh, we were um, stationed in Hawaii because my ex was in the military, uh, Navy. And so we were stationed there. And I was alone. Um, it was my first pregnancy. Uh, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was a dependent wife. And I went in for a doctor's appointment at around 40 weeks. And I honestly don't even remember because that's how little I knew of pregnancy and birth. And mm -hmm. Let's remember 1995. We didn't have internet. We didn't have social media for me to right. get information. So my 100% trust was in the doctors and nurses who were going to take care of me. Right. And I went to the doctors. It was an appointment. I was getting an ultrasound. They were going to do um, like an amniotic fluid test to see how much fluid I had. And at that time, I didn't even understand what they were doing. I just showed up my appointment. Yeah. And they did a, um, a scan. And the technician who was doing the, the ultrasound said, your fluid's kind of low, I think. Um, you probably will go have your baby today. And I didn't understand that <laughs> because I didn't understand there was such thing as induction. I'd never heard of it. I don't know about it. And I thought he was kidding. And he walked me up to the labor and delivery unit. I was by myself. And let's remind people, no cell phones, okay? So I get to the floor and they start admitting me. And I didn't understand what was happening. And I said, like, well, can I call my husband? And they were like, sure. But he was at work. Mm -hmm. And and I was trying to call his office and there was no answer. And I kept trying. And finally, I got a hold of him. And so he shows up. And next thing I know, like I have an IV, I have monitors on me. Nobody's explained anything to me. Nobody's taught me what these monitors are. Nobody's explained why I have to keep some stupid thing on my finger. Mm -hmm. And so I'm oblivious to everything. And while I, my, while I was there, they started the induction and it didn't go well. And I remember if I was trying to use the, the bathroom, I would hit the call bell. Nobody would come. So I would just take the monitors off and go to the bathroom. And then, and then everybody would run in and kind of scold me for being off the monitor, right. going to the bathroom. You can't do that. And I'm like, I don't understand. So then I back in bed, you know, nobody encourages you to get out of bed. Nobody encourages you to do comfort measures or anything like that. So I crawl back in bed and 
they didn't do something called ripening my cervix. I didn't know if I needed to have a ripened cervix. I only know these words now as a labor nurse, mm -hmm. but they didn't do any ripening of my cervix, which is very, very important step. They just went right to Pitocin. And I believe I might've been 40 weeks, but I didn't count my pregnancy in weeks. I counted it in months because that's how like little I knew about pregnancy. Yeah, that's what I always thought too with yeah. that uh, pregnancy would last why. nine months. <laughs> and I didn't understand why people cared about weeks. Right. Now I understand. But I said, you know, this hurts. And and I didn't know what to do for pain. I didn't understand epidurals. My mother and my sister, they both experienced natural labors and births, but we didn't talk about it. So I didn't really... I wasn't like talking to my sister and her saying, you need to do this or that. She's no, like we just didn't talk about birth mm -hmm. at all. So I don't know my options. Nobody's giving me options and nobody's saying anything to my husband at the time of what he could do for me to help me. Instead, he sat in a chair just lost and, and I'm crawling around the bed and I'm getting uncomfortable and I'm hitting the call bell and I'm like in pain and I heard and they're like, well, um, how about, uh, we give you IV pain medication? I said, okay. So that was okay for a couple of hours. And then it started hurting again. And then I called them and, and I said, well, what else can you do? They said, well, you can't get an epidural yet. And I didn't even know if I wanted an epidural. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about epidurals. I had heard from a friend that they could paralyze me. <laughs> so I was like, right. So, so I, so like in the dark about everything and and they said i could get one when i was five centimeters so i literally was crawling all over the bed finally i get is five centimeters and finally they say i can have an epidural so i get an epidural and then next thing i know i'm uh, they say okay we're gonna we're gonna come and break your water again i don't know what that means but i say okay that's what they're gonna do so they break my water. And then I remember just them coming in again, flipping me to the left, flipping me to the right. And they're like, it's not working. It's not working. Um, we're going to have to go back for a cesarean. And here, sign this consent. It basically says that you're consenting for a cesarean. You have you know, a chance maybe you might not have kids because there could be like a hemorrhage and a hysterectomy or I don't remember everything. And I thought, should I sign this? Like, they just told me I might not be able to have kids after this. Like, that's all I heard. Wow. It's been a better explanation, but that's all I heard. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I guess I don't have a choice. So I just signed it. And then I went back for a section and, and we had a, a camcorder, Sony, a Sony Handycam, mm -hmm. if anybody knows, but yeah. So I have a recording of that in the OR. I have no pictures or recordings of us in the birth room. But when I'm, they had me on the table and my arms were strapped to the arm boards and we don't do that anymore. We don't strap arms to the arm boards there. They shouldn't. But they brought my son to me and I couldn't even look at him. And you can see that in the recording. Like, they're like, look. And I just was just, okay, okay. Like, I didn't, I, I just was in shock. And mm -hmm. then they brought my son out to some nursery. I never saw him. And then my, um, my recovery was done in the post-anesthesia care unit where I was alone because my husband was with the baby. And I had the labor shakes, which nobody explained to me what those were. So I was just shivering and shivering. And I'm by myself. Just a lot. Not even other patients. It was wow. the middle of the night. It was 2.30 in the morning. I was by nobody coming around to talk to me and soothe me completely alone. And then we go back to um, the, the recovery room. And at the time, it was a long weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. So... There's nothing for me to do. Like, you know, there's just some basic cable. There's, you know, there's no Netflix or anything. Right. I'm left like just by myself. And 
trying to breastfeed this baby that, you know, I, my family didn't breastfeed. I don't know what made me want to breastfeed, but I was like, oh, I just feel like breastfeeding. So I'm breastfeeding and I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but I remember just feeling really by myself because I didn't have any family there. We were in Hawaii and my family's in Canada. And, um, and so I went home and, and I was just felt confused. I didn't know how to tell people I had a baby because I did not consider myself giving birth. I was like, I didn't really birth a baby because I didn't have a normal birth. I've never known anybody who had a cesarean. That's like how little I knew. We're going to have to take another break. We're going to take a a couple of minutes this time. And when we come back, we'll talk about the hidden legal issue blind spot of what happens if you're pregnant and on life support. So stay tuned. Have you been wanting to learn about a will or a trust but haven't gotten around to it? Now is the perfect time to learn about this vital information. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. We educate our children so that they're prepared for the future. Call Marquardt Law Firm at 210-530-4278 to show your family that you are prepared for the future. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio. I'm Todd Marquardt here on 9:30 a.m. The Answer, and we'll be on podcasts everywhere, and Facebook and YouTube. But now we're gonna do our Sinners and Saints segment. Okay, so. I do the Sinners and Saints segment because it's funny to me and because um, there was a theologian named Martin Luther back in the, the 1570s that said that each one of us is at the same time a sinner and a saint. Uh, of course, we were born into sin because of what Adam and Eve did and uh, we're justified as saints because of what Jesus did for us. And so this week, our saint is Rosalind Pope, who was the author of Appeal for Human, Ra- Human Rights. Um, when she was a senior at Spelman College in Atlanta, she wrote this uh, document called An Appeal for Human Rights. And it was published in newspapers around the country outlining the right to equality in education, jobs, housing, hospitals, entertainment, and law enforcement citing that those were not only civil rights, but human rights. So thank you to Rosalind Pope. All right, the center for this week is uh, comes from a book called The Death Shift. And what happened was there was this, uh, this nurse named Janine Jones, who was known as the angel of death uh, because of what she was doing uh, to babies and and. San Antonio's Hospital, and uh, so if you're interested in that, pick up a copy of the book called The Death Shift. So that's it for Sinners and Saints. We'll go back to uh, hearing from um, Mariah. What's your last name again? Adipe. Okay, and so if somebody wants to learn uh, from you about how to have a natural birth and a good birthing experience, how can they find more information about you? I have a website, mariahadifey.com. And um, in the website, I have a few options. I offer many sessions because I think a lot of women experienced what I experienced. And that creates birth trauma. It creates memories of something that you may carry into your next birth. Mm -hmm. So I offer many sessions to work on birth debriefing. If you ended up in cesarean, I have a mini session for, it's called a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, to help prep your mind and your body. And then I also offer a full four-month birth coaching program. And this is 
very focused on the mindset because what I've experienced is when women come into birth, even if they've had some prenatal classes and they've learned how to breathe, um, when their mindset has not shifted from fear to faith, it shows up. So some women have a lot more very deep inside that's in their subconscious. And when you go into labor, your limbic part of your brain takes over. So if there's hidden fears, that comes out oh, and wow. you may stop that natural process simply because of the fear that maybe you have not fully addressed. And that's why my program does go over a course of four months. I have modules and we meet every week and we process things that it may not be a birth trauma that you're having because this could be your first birth, but it could be all the horrid birth stories you heard because unfortunately when women feel um, like either um, abused or victimized or disappointed or shocked, traumatized in their birth, they tend to talk about it more because they are trying to figure out how to feel better about mm -hmm. it. When a woman has a beautiful birth experience, she has no need to talk about it because she's, she, it's just, I was happy. It was great. I moved on. Right. And still, it was, it was horrible, awful. And nobody's hearing me. Every time we have a situation, doesn't matter what it is in life. If we don't feel heard, we repeat it over and, and it becomes our story because we're just waiting to be heard. Right. And, and that becomes a, a process of healing. So I don't rush that healing and, and moving into the, um, the birth itself. My birth coaching is not about ultimately the birth. It is about building you up as a woman, as a mother, as a confident, um, person that's going to go into birth and not only own it like like no i'm going to go through this challenge and i'm going to become more powerful for it and this is going to roll into me as a parent and in my postpartum journey and and my growth with my children they can take these tools that i teach them teach them to their their babies and their young children before they grow up into people that have self-imposed limitations. Oh, you know, how many times do we hear somebody say, I wish I could do that. I'm just right. not good. Enough. And that comes from like paradigms, the, our, our system of beliefs, the things we see in our life. And so the birth program is much more than enjoying a natural birth. It is about um, going into birth with confidence, coming out of birth empowered and 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 having this confidence into the postpartum and um having almost like a whole life change and and that takes time so that's why the program is four months and then i have um also on the website if you are a birth professional you can find dysfunctional labor maneuvers which is what i created to help reduce our c-section rate um, okay, trauma. so talk about that. What, as as a as a guy that's never been in labor, <laughs> I don't know anything about that. So, uh, and let the so listeners a, know. Yeah, as a person, a human being, we have a body, and this body has to structurally function. If it doesn't structurally function, we end up in chronic pain. We end up maybe with back pain or hip pain or knee pain or plantar fasciitis. And it comes from the fascia. And I studied fascia release techniques called structural integration. And that is a modality um, I think is one of the most powerful ways to heal our bodies. So just taking that concept, if you're an athlete, you could get fascia release, and I'm sure many athletes understand this, to help with any overuse injuries. You could have fascia release for injuries. Say you uh, sprained your ankle, broke your leg. Um, that there's, there's a connective tissue in our body that spreads all through. It's like a spider web weave from head to toe. And if there's any restrictions or adhesions from scars, then 
the body does not structurally function as well as it should. So we have a, a, a less active generation and our muscles are shortening and that doesn't allow our body and bones to move in a functional way that doesn't create pain. So now you take that idea and let's put it into a woman growing a baby at a rapid rate mm-hmm. and cannot adjust. And so it compensates and, and maybe she's got a lot of pain in her pregnancy. Um, even though there's a whole like idea of, Oh, you have to move in, in, in labor and birth. And that's what helps. Well, if you don't address fascia, your body is not going to move the way it needs to. It's not going to open the way it needs to. Muscles will not lengthen to allow the pelvic bone to open the way it's supposed to. Okay. And that's what women end up in C-section for. The number one reason for cesarean is malpositioned baby. And a malpositioned baby is from a body that is not structurally aligned and functionally mobile. And we can do this through fascial release and positions like uh, long hold positions that are actually giving a long fascial release type of stretch. I use the, the soft tissue mobilization technique, which is like a very slow compression to the, the, the tissue. And it's, it's, this is why I only teach this to birth professionals because it's very technical. Okay. And a lot of people feel like it's magic, but it's not. If you understand <laughs> what Fasha's role in the body does, then you will understand that you have to know how to release it to help the body realign itself and function Like think of um, a piston, like how it has to go back and forth uh, smoothly. What if you don't have any oil or grease? It's just going to be stuck. And that's what our muscle fibers do. And through compression, like when I hold, I press into the skin and I just hold. And the fascia just rehydrates the muscles and melts the tissue to start softening and lengthening and then that creates the ability for the pelvic bones to move okay thank you for explaining that we have to take another break when we come back we'll be talking about that hidden legal issue blind spot so stay tuned Have you been wanting to learn about a will or a trust but haven't gotten around to it? Now is the perfect time to learn about this vital information. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. We educate our children so that they're prepared for the future. Call Marquardt Law Firm at 210-530-4278 to show your family that you are prepared for the future. Welcome back to Talk Law Radio here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Uh, we're talking with uh, Mariah, who ha- has a business called Empowered Birth and Pregnancy, LLC. And she was talking to us about the the mindset and uh, the, the way bodies have uh, fascia and how to put those two things together for a, a better birthing experience. And uh, now I, I want to ask you, uh, Mariah, about the article that was talking about uh, pregnancy and life support. So uh, just for the listeners, I have to bring them uh, up to speed. There was a, a court case uh, in the mid-2000s, I think it was around 2014, where um, a woman who happened to be pregnant had a stroke or something, and uh, ended up in the hospital, and she was uh, brain dead, so to speak, and there was a law 
that in a Texas law that said that uh, life support could not be removed uh, from a person who was pregnant. So as a, a labor and delivery nurse, um, how does that strike you? Yeah, um, like I, I was I was reading the article with um, other colleagues, and they themselves had never came across this. And it did sound like in the article that neither had a lot of other people because this was a very unique situation. And we understand the idea of viability and... Um, viability of the baby, meaning the, the baby's healthy enough and, and grown enough to live outside the womb, right? And, yes. And our weeks of gestation would consider viability after 24 weeks. This patient, she was 14 weeks when this occurred. Mm -hmm. So initially, we were all in agreement that, that that should not have been the reason to keep the life support going because of how early she was gestationally. Well, the uh, statute doesn't even mention viability. I mean, if if you if you just follow the statute, which is section one sixty six point zero four nine of the Texas Health and Safety Code, it says a, a person is prohibited from withdrawing or withholding life sustaining treatment from a pregnant patient. And so, if if the pregnant if she's six weeks pregnant, you know, I I guess the statute would would uh, prevent somebody from. Uh, withdrawing life support. Um, but in that court case, they did mention uh, the, the viability of the baby. Yes. And they, and the other instance was she was declared brain dead, which means she's declared dead, not alive. And, mm -hmm. and so I could see that I could see that very clearly. She's, she's been declared dead already. And I think that's where that became so different or, or such the difficult, um, the difficult of, of deciding whether to keep life support or not keep life support because they were saying she's declared dead and they're just keeping her body alive. And, and that's so why the court ultimately uh, decided that the, the husband could uh, – ask for the treatment to be withdrawn, but, but her body was alive. And I don't, I don't think that there's any statute that says that if your brain is dead, that you're dead. That was, um, that was what, when they said it, when a medical professional declared the person dead, which was brain dead. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if she was declared brain dead. That means dead. Right. And that was the that was the struggle, the struggle to say, well, you know, we but we have these means to keep the body pumping and, mm -hmm. you know, so but they were like, but she was because when you declare somebody dead, even if it's brain dead, all life supports coming off. Right. So that was and that was her wishes. She had a legal document. Her advanced directives mm -hmm. said I do not want advanced life support in the event that I can't sustain life. But as I was talking amongst my colleagues too, we make these advanced directives not with the idea that there is a baby inside of us. Right. So had she made a clause in her own advanced directive I think that needs to be addressed in advanced directives for women of childbearing age to really right. think about that because who thinks about that? All you're thinking about is I don't want to have all this life support if I'm really just not going to have a good quality of life. Right. That's, that's why we're making those. We're not thinking about anything else except us. And it was about honoring her wishes. Um, but I've done an advanced directive and that was, and I was childbearing age and that was not a, and I was in San Antonio, let's yeah. say that, actually, but it was before right. 2000. Um, but that was something that 
I said, you know, making an advanced directive and reading this article, that might be a question that needs to be brought up. Have yeah, you considered sure. this this scene? What would you want to do? And but, then they got it with their spouses or whatever. Yeah, whoever's... but there's a whole lot of other medical uh, things that could go wrong where somebody would end up in a coma or a vegetative state and, and happen to be pregnant and and not brain dead. So uh, I think that we should talk more about this statute because uh, pregnant ladies under this statute are not allowed to decide to take life support off. And, and it's it's just a really strange thing to me that that you don't you can't make that decision. And I know the state of Texas would say, well, the state has an interest in in protecting and preserving life, the baby's life. So there there's two sides. Well, I, I do think as much as there is two sides, I I I think the question needs to be asked as um having your wishes played out but what if you are pregnant and something happens to you women may have a different answer mm-hmm. and some may not right but some like literally when you're thinking about that you are not thinking that you're pregnant you're thinking that it is just you right and you do that but you have to raise this awareness that don't forget you're of childbearing age what would you want for yourself? And that would be, I would have to imagine, like a question posed to get a real a real consensus of like how many women would say, well, actually, if I was pregnant, maybe I would want to be kept alive. Mm-hmm. And that, if you're not asking that question, then we're not getting those answers. And then we're not getting, you know, because the, you know, I would imagine the law was made to support people's rights and things like yeah. that, right? So... So what, what would I think as uh, I would want to have that question with my spouse, I would say, hey, if something happened to me, because for me, if I, if I passed away somehow, some way, uh, you know, I'm in heaven, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. But what's going on down on earth? Right. I would ask my husband, what, what would you like me to do? Would you want my, would you want the baby? Would you want that piece of me? Because as a woman... When she loses her her spouse or partner or father of her child, let's just say that, that's a very special baby. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's that last piece of him that she has. And she gets to make that choice and decision where, where a, a father does not. That's not his body. He doesn't get to um, grow the baby. So that is definitely a question between the couple's. To say, would you want to go through this? I love it that you're bringing the father into this because uh, my experience at the hospital when my children were born, um, I I didn't have very much say-so as a father. I was pretty much ignored. So I I love that you you give some respect to the fathers out there. I'll just (laughs) real quick. Also, I don't just have the birth coaching for mothers. I actually have Confident Parent Program, which is designed for fathers exactly because of what you said. I know the fathers just are, are almost feel like they're just spectators. Right. When they come in with the idea, I'm going to advocate for my wife. We're too medical. We can railroad you real quick with our fancy mm-hmm. medical words and, and convince you that this is what you need to do. And you're you're a lawyer. You'll be like, well, I, I don't know this medical stuff. Right. So that my, from the way I was treated to how I nurse people is where my coaching comes from. And that's for mother and father. And even a birth professional, I have, um, my program is, I also have it for them too. Because there's there's a, a need you are not going into that birth alone. Most people deliver their babies in hospitals. So you have nursing staff, obstetrician staff, midwife staff, and it's just you, your wife, maybe a doula. But 
it's not supposed to be you against them. Mm-hmm. You need to be talked to. You need to be, con- your voice matters. And this is what I'm thinking. Like, if I am gone, it is not about me anymore, right. honestly. Right. There's a baby in there that I made with somebody I love, and they may want that baby so bad. And they say, well, no, because she made this advanced directive. And it'd be like, but we didn't talk about pregnancy. Right. So this becomes a very important topic to bring into an advanced directive from a woman's side. You have to talk about it. It's awkward. It's weird. But if that situation arised, me personally, this is Mariah Dyfi. If my husband said to me, please stay alive so I could have our baby, I would say do it. Awesome. We just have a minute left, so I want to talk about your legacy. Just a second. And now, it's time for the Talk Law Radio Legacy Spotlight. What's your legacy? Sponsored by Marquardt Law Firm. So, Mariah, in just one minute, tell us what you want your legacy to be. I want my legacy to um, change how birth is globally how women are made to feel. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to feel joy. I don't want them to fear birth. I want their husbands or partners to feel that experience with them because I feel we have a very broken society and this is where it starts. It starts at birth. Awesome. You feel that it's going to go into your parenthood and those children will grow up as as healthy as, as they can be. I had so much fun getting to know you. Uh, I'm going to have to have you back on the show because we didn't get through everything that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> so um, you've heard it here on Talk Law Radio. Talk to you later. Have you been wanting to learn about a will or a trust but haven't gotten around to it? Now is the perfect time to learn about this vital information. The attorneys at Marquardt Law Firm focus on business and estate law, including last wills, living trusts, and tax-protected inheritance plans. We educate our children so that they're prepared for the future. Call Marquardt Law Firm at 210-530-4278 to show your family that you are prepared for the future. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.